Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics I'm Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your wholesale senor Bruce Pollard. Welcome today. Great show today? Yes, we're going to have a great show today. And by the way, Bruce, I hope you listened to our show with Richard. Uh, I think it was with, um, first of all, Marilyn Burgess and Richard Wolf on KPFT 90.1 FM. We gave, we saluted you on that show on air on 90.1 FM in Houston, Texas, all over. So thank you so kindly for all that you do for both Politics and Right and KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, Texas. You're a good man, Bruce Pilar, Jeannie, Wallace Seglins. Welcome aboard, doing my usual thing, driving home from work and listening to my favorite show. You just melt my heart. You just melt my heart, Jeannie. Love you, girl. Love you, love you, love you. Deborah John. Deborah, Deborah, Deborah. Como estas, mi amiga? And of course, there's Michael Rudnan. Rudnan has stuff. You know, Rudnan wants to give me work. Rudnan, you have some long ones here. I'm going to read a piece of each. Report. On top of every uh, everything, at least Ted Cruz might have broken the law. I saw that you actually sent that link to me. What does it take to hold white-collar criminals accountable? Salon's Roger uh, Schallenberg reports that in 2020, a leadership pack... Let me just give a synopsis. The synopsis of that is that somehow they bought the books and the royalties went to Ted Cruz from a pack that was funded by Donald Trump's group. It's illegal to do that, so they're checking into that. Uh, the second one, focus on fate of $15 minimum wage in Senate as House prepares to take Biden's $1.9 trillion. That's going to pass. As far as the $15 minimum, we have to look for uh, who will decide to be the Democratic traitors to prevent $15 an hour. They never prevented a whole lot of other things that the right wanted. They went ahead and coalesced into that. But, you know, somehow... Like we said, we have to remember what neoliberalism is. We're not going to fight about neoliberalism right now. We're not going to go into all those issues right now. We're going to try to get as much as we can because we didn't do the job as as progressives to really get the candidates that had 100% progressive bona fides. So we have to be smart in the battles that we fight. We have to be smart in how we approach the battle. Because the one thing we don't want is for the reemergence of the fascists. So, folks, let's be very careful with all that we're going to do. Let's be smart. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. Eric Hayes says, I would say Ted needs to a shave and cut. Wow, Eric. Good point. Bridge MCP, hi all. Anyhow, today's program, what are we going to talk about today? Let's get busy. we got a long program today. Uh, Comenzando, we have Greg Cosera on fossil fuels and jobs So race doesn't matter? Insurrectionist senator called out Solid discourse with conservative oil man Greg Cosera on jobs and fossil fuels Tell me, tell me race doesn't matter And not, uh, and, and does not matter And seditionist senator Josh Hawley called out If he didn't have a job, he could dress anyway and hang on the oily beach. <laughs> that is funny, Bruce. That's funny, Bruce. Eric says, how about that Cuomo news keep coming? I want to, I am going to get to go, jump to this Daily Coast article real quick. Because it. when I saw this article on Daily Coast, because I was about to jump on with a few other Democrats and really start to hit um, Cuomo. And the reason I was going to do that is I want to make sure that we all play fair. I mean, if one, if a group of people do, do something bad, 
a group does something bad, we should always be fair. That's what progressives are all about. We don't eat our own, but we make sure we keep our own in line. And I want to read this from Daily Coast here. Because here, the title of it, Nursing Home, quote, Scandal is designed to strip New York's uh, Governor Cuomo of his political capital. And here's the reason I brought this article up. Because I read this article, and I have to admit, hey, Lee Grant, welcome aboard, that it took me aback, and it had me rethinking my position on Cuomo. Is Cuomo a bully? I'm pretty sure he is. Is, is Donald Trump a bully? I'm pretty sure he is. Are most politicians that with power bullies? Yes, until you cut their limbs. And when I say cut your limbs, I'm not talking about it in some violent form. I'm talking about it in a hold them accountable. But check this out. I'm going to read the first few paragraphs. The governor intimidated officials to lie about COVID infections and deaths, sent stormtroopers, guns drawn to arrest a fired state health official who continued to publish real data. Cuomo? Was that Cuomo? No, that was Florida Governor Ron DeSantis now being pitched as a 2024 presidential candidate. Republican DeSantis being pitched, but that's what he did. Is anybody calling him out right now? Is anybody saying, hey, we need to really impeach this guy? Nobody is. The governor advanced policies that set the stage for a catastrophic failure of power and water, causing dozens to die and force those who can least afford it to pay astronomical utility rates and home repair bills. Is that Cuomo? No, that is a Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who instead of holding for profits utility companies responsible, blamed New York Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the non-existent Green New Deal. Calls to impeach Abbott? No. Meanwhile, Senator Ted Cruz skipped out to Cancun and given aid and comfort to the insurrectionists as AOC raised $4 million worth of supplies for Texans. Have Texans demanded he resign? Well, we progressives have. Oh, yes, and back in March 2020, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said old people would gladly die for the coronavirus in order to save the economy for their grandchildren. Not a scandal. Not a scandal. The former guy knew in January 2020 how transmissible, how lethal COVID-19 was, but lied, intimidated governors to keep the economy open, reduced funding for testing, forced workers... A back to unsafe conditions contradicted the need to wear masks, held super spreader events in violation of local ordinances to keep society distant, withheld funding for testing, PPE and vent ventilators to extract support from governors and attack Democratic governors directly who did not know how but who did what they could do to keep the residents safe. Liberate Michigan, causing hundreds of thousands of, uh, if not just 500 thousand Americans to die. Did we, did anybody, did you get the point? You get the point? Look, it is important for us to, to understand this. Cuomo, Cuomo is a target in New York. Cuomo is a bully in New York. Cuomo does things that many Democrats hate. I mean, the, the workers party, he found a way to get around. He, he's a, he is a strong man in New York. But let's have some perspective here. He's a strong guy. He's a politician. But when we look at those who have wronged Americans more than anybody else, it hasn't been guys like Governor Cuomo. And for people who have wronged Americans, who have hurt Americans, who have cost them in their pocketbook, who have killed them, who have cost their lives, 
we don't see the mainstream media going up against them. Every time a Democrat is found afoul, whether marginally or otherwise, the mainstream media, in order for them not to be accused of having a liberal bias, will come out and attack the Democrat, will come out and attack the progressive as they have with AOC. When you look at the policies AOC support are no different than the policies most Americans support. Yes, Cuomo is a very arrogant SOB. You're absolutely right, Eric Hayes. But you know what? He has not killed people like Donald Trump. You know what? He has not polluted his state like, uh, like DeSantis. You know what? He has not done the things that the, our governor here in Texas have done to hurt Texans. He have not caused the murder of over 2,000 Texans every year by not expanding the Medicaid expansion to the Affordable Care Act. So let's have some perspective here. So why am I not going to be an, another liberal, uh, a liberal independent media agent attacking Cuomo, even though I believe Cuomo is a neoliberal and Cuomo is not as progressive as I think he should be. I am not going to jump on the bandwagon for Cuomo before I jump on the bandwagon for each of those other governors and politicians who have continued to harm and kill Americans. So that's the reason I won't be writing anything negative about Cuomo. He's, I've already said it on air. He's an arrogant SOB. But as far as writing and codifying to make it, to give a false sense of, uh, a false, uh, a false, uh, what's the word? A, a false narrative. I am not going to do it. Anyhow, I got to get busy. I got off on that tangent, but let's go ahead and get busy. All right. The first video I want to show you is, uh, well, let me just go ahead and play it. Ah, no, I, I got to do it. Finally, the unpatriotic, the unpatriotic Josh Hawley, false equivalence, thank you, Rednan. Uh, the unpatriotic Hawley was called out directly by the media, and then a piece was done to really show what these guys were all about. So check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. Yes, ma'am. That's outrageous. I would say it's absolutely outrageous and an utter lie, and no one, I think, who knows any of the facts alleges any such thing. He said outrageous, right? What's outrageous are the actions being taken by members of the GOP in the wake of the January 6th insurrection, trying to erase, make us forget their very publicized roles and encouraging the outrage, all the anger that led to the violence at the Capitol that day and spreading disinformation about what really happened. Because here are the facts, Mr. Hawley. Mr. Hawley was the first senator who said that he would contest the counting of the Electoral College votes. He spread the big lie about election fraud. He showed the protesters they had his support. He raised his fist in the air. His actions helped foment the horror that came immediately after that picture was taken. Now, Hawley and others in the GOP have seemingly taken a page from Donald Trump's playbook, telling people not to believe what they see with their own eyes. Like yesterday, the Senate hearing on the intelligence and security failures on January 6th, Ron Johnson spent a majority of his time claiming provocateurs and, quote, fake Trump supporters were the ones who committed the violence. Johnson's false claim received swift condemnation from both sides of the aisle. As Philip Bump in The Washington Post notes, quote, we see efforts like Johnson's to separate the bad parts of what occurred from those he wants to defend. 
specifically Trump and those protest attendees who weren't part of the violence. But Johnson's effort is by no means the only one underway. There's also the attempt to diminish the threat of white supremacy and its outsized role in the insurrection. We usually refrain from playing the lies spewed by right-wing media, but take a listen to the falsehoods immediately followed by clear and unanimous testimony from former Capitol and Washington law enforcement at yesterday's hearing. There's no evidence that white supremacists were responsible for what happened on January 6th. To those who say we need a new domestic war on terror that will give even more unaccountable power to these law enforcement agencies without any kind of oversight, well, that is a scary prospect, and I'm totally opposed to it. Based on what we know now, including the recent Department of Justice indictments, do you agree that there is now clear evidence that supports the conclusion that the January 6th insurrection was planned and it was a coordinated attack on the U.S. Capitol? Just say, everyone agree? Yes. Okay. Um, would you agree that this attack involved white supremacists and extremist groups? Yes. And there's your answer. Anyhow, um, and the other video I got to go real quickly is with Matthew Dowd. And uh, what Matthew Dowd did is, if, you know, we talk a lot about race. Some people like to talk about uh, whether we are playing the race card or, or, or these types of issues. I want to show you two videos. Because, first of all, it doesn't matter if you, what scale in this country you're on. It just seems like we can't get away from it. Uh, the three people in Congress right now that are having problems getting confirmed, even by a Democrat, are three people of color. Three qualified people of color. And one of them, it's because of tweeting. You, are you kidding me? After having... Donald Trump, after having all these other uh, misogynists, we are going to have a woman who has an issue with getting past, a qualified woman. Check this out. As Alexi McCammon pointed out, quoting the Democrats, the optics here are horrendous. We're talking about three nominees facing stiff headwinds. All three are people of color. Yeah, and I, it's this the level of hypocrisy and ridiculousness is, especially listening to Senator Cornyn, who's the senator from here, one of the senators from here, that we have a, quite a pair with Ted Cruz and, and the Cancun saga and now John <laughs> Cornyn talking about, you know, it's, it's an amazing level of, of just of hypocrisy. It, it would be like the Houston Astros lecturing the Los Angeles Dodgers about not stealing signs. I mean, that would be the equivalent here. And the the I, I'm going to be a full disclaimer. Nira is a friend of mine. Nira has been a friend of mine for 15 years. I have a great deal of respect for Nira and her, her capacity, her qualifications. I am sure today she's wishing that she had been more circumspect in this. But the idea that after we had Donald Trump as president and many of these senators, including Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, voted for Rick Grinnell, who has had the most toxic communications ever before he was approved by the United States Senate, and Brett Kavanaugh, and we watched that unfold in the Senate. And so I just think this call now by, by a series of people that, I mean, Neera Tandon is, would probably be a jaywalker compared to Grand Theft Auto tweeting that we've seen over the last five years. So um, I, it's unfortunate for Nira she's caught up in this, but I think it just so underlines the level of hypocrisy that exists in Washington, D.C. today.
we the level of hypocrisy that we're talking about is amazing. Now, I want to show you, you know, remember what happened with the insurrection? It was finally perfect to see an FBI, former FBI assistant director, what he had to say about the insurrection were with respect to who gets scrutinized by the police. Check it out. There are two schools of thoughts as far as uh, why this, the National Guard and other police didn't get involved in on January 6th early enough. One is that it was planned. We wanted the uh, unpatriotic, seditious insurrectionists to be successful, so we kind of hold back till they got their stuff done, then we come in. The other thing is actually what we saw presented by those police officers who likely had nothing to do with any kind of a plan on, on, on attack. We noticed that the treatment that these insurrectionists got looked very, very different than the treatment the average Black Lives Matter or other protesters would have otherwise received. And, you know, listening to uh, the assistant, former assistant uh, director, FBI director, what he had to say, it puts that second thought into place that there is a lot more to why better preparation wasn't made to protect the Capitol. Check out what he had to say, then let's take it on the other side. The FBI is being blamed by, uh, you know, by a lot of people for not flagging that morning. FBI defenders say it was all out there in black and white. It was in the in the media that all of those officials on the Hill, the security officials, should have known what was coming. But there seems to be a complete <clears throat> lack of coordination between the House and the Senate, D.C. cops, and certainly the, all of them and the Pentagon. Well, Andrea, I found yesterday's hearing to bo- both be frustrating and educational at the same time. Educational because we are hearing about the mindset of the chief uh, security officers in place uh, on January 6th and frustrating because I don't like what I hear about the mindset of those officers. What we're hearing seemingly is they need to be shaken. They need to be screamed at when something is staring them right in the face about a threat and a risk. And so we're going to hear a lot of finger pointing and a lot of down-in-the-weeds talk about what time of day an email was or not sent, what time of day an email was read or not, who should have been called at what level. But, Andrea, there are much larger, deeper questions here. Here's the question. Why is it that as a nation we seem collectively unable to view ourselves as a threat? You know, I think it was Senator Klobuchar yesterday who asked Chief Sund, what is your threshold? What, what would you have needed to see in intelligence that would have changed your security posture? We never really got a cogent answer on that. And I fear that the real answer to that is that religion or skin color needed to change to increase the security posture. By that, I mean, if you change the religion of these folks to violent Islamic jihad and their mission, or you change skin color to black, I fear that the security threshold would have been much greater and we would have seen a major response. And you need only look at the posture for Black Lives Matter rallies in Washington, D.C., where there was virtually no intelligence indicating risk or threat. And then look at the posture on January 6th. And that says it all, right? That says it all. But then again, if you think you are exceptional, uh, then you can't do anything that puts a hole into that belief, right? I mean, you cannot be like those who will attack your own country in as much as we've had.
No, you could not. No, you could not. And th- I, I just showed you two things that are sort of race-based. And no, Lee Grant is not race-baiting. It's just race-truthing because it fit, the, it fit what we're talking about today with these three things. Now, I, I, we first showed you uh, where, where uh, the three people that are having problems getting past. These are, these are intellectuals. These are people on the top of the scale. They can't get in somehow, or it's the ones of color. Uh, we also point out that even the even those who are considered radical rioters that are not of the darker hue, oh, they get a pass. But check this out here. Check this out. To people of color, real question here. Police, friend. Or foe. You don't really know. Can start out as friend, end up as foe, can start out as foe, end up as friend. But the fact of the matter is, if you take a look at how our black men, men of color, are treated, it is almost like we're still sometimes uh, in the old days, right? Uh, when you don't have freedom of movement, etc. You know, we have the people on the right always talking about freedom. We want our freedom or you're trying to don't tread on me. But to be very often a person of color, it means if you are walking in certain areas, people will know, well, do you really belong? Do you really belong here? Many times they call the cops. Does he really belong here? And then the cops starts to do the duty of those who've asked. Does he belong here? His freedom must be taken for granted to satisfy a few. Now this story in Plano is this kid doing what he does every day, walking home from his job at Walmart, this time in the freezing cold and snow in Plano, Texas. And he walks home. He's walking in the streets. The, the snow is covering everything, right? So he's walking where it's most safe. Somebody calls and says, hey, somebody's here that doesn't belong. And of course, the runners come to do the check but this young man you know after a while you're just fed up do you really want to put yourself through the indignity one more time just so that they don't put those handcuffs on you because you're not willing to go through their inquisition an unnecessary inquisition an unlawful inquisition Check this out from this young man, then we'll take it on the other side. Sir, you need to talk to us, okay? Sir. Good, bro. Can you calm down? All right. Sir. Sir, look, we just want to talk to you. All right? I'm on the way home. I'm straight. Okay. Where the fuck I'm going? Okay, but you're walking in the middle of the road. I, I understand that, my bad. I'm not in the middle of it. 
We just trying to figure out where you're going. Home, I just said that. Oh, you okay, dude? Watch out, man. Where's home at? Do you want us to just give, give you a ride? No, I'm good. I do this every night, literally, on the street. Okay. You ain't cold or nothing? No. I'm With good. that cheese shirt yeah, on? That. I'm good. What's your name, man? Nice. Huh? You don't know? Can you just stop and talk to us for a minute? Bro. Do you mind? Do you mind hey, just talking to hey, us for a minute? Just talk to us for a minute. Just talk to us for a minute. I ain't gonna put my hand on a female. Please don't touch okay. me. Okay. I'm just trying don't to get me. your attention, okay? Stop. We're just trying to make sure you're okay. Don't touch me. We're trying to make sure you're okay. We're trying to make sure you're okay. No, 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 what? No, 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 what? We're doing an investigation. I don't care. I'm going home. You are officially detained. No. Yes. Sir. Yes, you are. Bro, stop. 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 Just relax. Just relax, all right? Just relax. We're just trying to talk to you. I got an anger problem. Please get off me. Y'all not going to. Y'all not. No. Stop. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to touch. Yeah, you didn't stop. Put your hands behind your back now. You are not free to go. Wow. The next thing you do is going to be get a charge right now. So because you're pushing on an officer. I'm not pushing. How am I pushing on you? It's actually resisting, dude. It's resisting arrest for detention. Give us the channel. Please let me go. No. My house is literally right there. He just tell us the address? Wait. It's a lot, dude. Do the I'm trying to. Please just let me go. Wow, you're really now the question is, he's walking home. Why do, he's minding his own business. Why? Uh, is this the days in 1860 where the, any, any, any cop, any, I don't remember what they called those guys then, could just stop you because of your hue? Is that it? Uh, this this is uncalled for, but most importantly, this is so upsetting. Again, police, friend, or foe. You know, so often we talk blue lives matter and all of that kind of stuff. Now you see why we talk a whole lot about black lives matter. This is why. Because he there was no right for these guys to stop him. He did nothing wrong. He was just walking home. They said he walked in the middle of the street, but it was full of ice, full of snow. As far as my neighborhood, there are no sidewalks. The only place to walk is in the streets. A lot of these neighborhoods in Texas, that's why they don't even have sidewalks. This is shameful. Welcome to America. Police officers, friend or foe. All right, folks, I, I, I hope you get that. I hope you really understand that, that your body is always belonging to some cop. That you, don't, that you can't walk. You know, I've seen some of those guys at the Capitol, they beat the crap out of these cops. They never thought about putting handcuffs on. They never thought about doing any of these things to these people. And here's a kid walking home, 18 years old, walking home, the walk he does every day from, from his job. And they want to stop him because somebody called a neighbor and said, there's this guy walking in a t-shirt in the cold. Is he doing that because he wants to toughen himself up? That's none of your business. Unless he does something wrong, you have no right to do that. But we find that all of the times. Um, 
there, I, I'm going to stay a little bit longer today because I want to play a bonus of another incident. This time, the black guy is dead because he jaywalked, they claimed. One of the officers in the car says, hey, we don't need to stop this guy for that. The other officers go. They, they get into a rap. Bam, the guy is dead. One officer is telling him, we don't really need to do that. He really didn't do anything. But the outcome to that is the life of a black man, a dead black man. But anyhow, let's go ahead and talk to my conservative friend that I'm interviewing today. And I'm going to be going a little bit over today because I want you guys to see that video with this other black guy that I'm telling you about. Because, you know, it, 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 if we don't talk about it, it's not the race card uh, at all um, to uh, what's his name here. It's not that. We have to let Lee Grant, you have to let people see these things because they don't believe it when you're saying it. They don't believe it when you're saying it. But anyhow, let's go to our interview, and then we'll move on to the other one. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us today. Today we have a special program because people that listen to our show are going to say, you have a petroleum engineer, a agricultural engineer, somebody dealing with oil on your show, to which I say, yes, we must listen Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us today. Today we have a special program because people that listen to our show are going to say, you have a petroleum engineer, a agricultural engineer, somebody dealing with oil on your show, to which I say, yes, we must listen to everybody. Greg Cosera is Director of Marketing for Shale Crescent USA, a regional nonprofit research and economic development organization. He is a professional engineer and an environmentalist with more than 35 years of experience in the natural gas and oil industry. Cosera is the author of the books, of the books Just the Fracks, ma'am. When I heard that name, you know what I said. And Learned Leadership, a boys high school soccer coach whose teams have won 16 regional and five state championships. This guy is an engineer. He's, he's even engineering wins on the field. He understands the importance of teamwork and leadership. Greg, welcome to Politics Unright. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. How about you? I am doing great, Greg. Uh, l- let, me, let me tell you, um, when, when they asked me to you know, talk to you, my first thing is like, don't you guys listen to my show? Why do you are, you, are you going to really bring Greg to my show? To which then, then I said, yeah, you must listen to my show because what I like to do is I like to hear all sides of a story. I like to hear everything. So first of all, uh, the original context of the conversation is bringing manufacturing back to the United States, making sure that we build things. I also noticed that you are a leader group, a nonprofit that centralizes in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and what state am I missing? Ohio. And Ohio. Uh, you know, um, and these are states that are in dire straits right now. Manufacturing has left them. Manufacturing never was a part of West Virginia. West Virginia was always a for- forgotten state. First of all, tell me what, what's your goal? Our goal is really simple. We want to bring, as a nonprofit, non-government, our role is to bring jobs, not just jobs, but high-wage, career-oriented jobs back to this region, the Rust Belt. And, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is 
petrochemicals, the first ethane cracker was 10 miles from where I sit today. I live outside of Charleston, West Virginia. So the whole chemical valley during the Cold War, we were on Russia's target list for because but what happened when our energy went away, when OPEC suddenly in the 70s became the, the world's oil supplier, we saw the Gulf Coast where you're located begin to grow. And suddenly overseas labor was cheap. So we lost our we lost our manufacturing. All my relatives, I grew up in Pittsburgh, worked over and our family was in steel. Well, my all of a sudden, my whole family is unemployed because the steel mills went away. So we have this unique opportunity now because we have abundant energy. As a matter of fact, you may not know, your listeners may not know and viewers, that that region, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, if it was a country, would be the number three natural gas producer in the entire world. Number three. The only places that produce more natural gas than Shell Crescent, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania is number one is the rest of the U.S. without us the Gulf Coast, offshore, Texas, Oklahoma, Alaska, number one, number two, Russia, number three, us. Can you imagine that? That little part of the United States produces twice as much natural gas as the entire nation of China. So that energy advantage, and to your point, it's not energy for burning stuff. What most people don't grasp is to make the shirt, the computers, everything we got, takes molecules, petrochemicals, and there's nothing wrong with renewables, but the only thing they make is electricity. They can't make a car. You got to have those molecules to do that. So we have this, we got the energy, we've got the workforce because we've been an old manufacturing area and we have the location because 70% of the people that use, that make things out of polyethylene, polypropylene are in our region. So right today, those polyethylene pellets are being made on the Gulf Coast and they're being shipped up to my part of the world. Can you imagine what that does for efficiency? Can you imagine what that does for carbon footprint? So we have this unique opportunity. I think what happened during the pandemic, I think we all got hit with the realization that we didn't realize how much stuff we were getting from overseas. And can you imagine things like PPE, face masks, uh, gowns, even uh, ventilators, medical equipment. We, we were depending on places like China for that. And well, I'll tell you what, when we're depending on other nations to protect our people, and even 80% of our prescription drugs aren't made here, it's time to bring it back. And we can talk about it more. We have the advantage. We can make it cheaper and more efficiently here in this country than anybody in the world. Now, um, when it comes to energy, you, you, you point out that uh, uh, one of the first steps we could take to reduce carbon footprint is to just start manufacturing here because the amount that we spent, or rather the amount that we burn on transport, the amount that we, that, that, that we burn to create all this, the, the chaos within the market by not building things here have an actual footprint and that could be a start. Did I understand that right from your writings? Absolutely, because if you think about what's going on today, China, who's obviously that's China and Asia, particularly China. I mean, you look at about any look around your office and your house, you'll find something, probably a lot of stuff made in China. China doesn't have their energy. I already talked about that. They're getting most of their feedstock, their energy from OPEC, a lot of it's coming from Iran or from Russia via pipeline. So that's a carbon footprint to move that those molecules from the Middle East to, let's just say, Beijing. Then they make a product. 
and it may play, it might be who knows my shirt or a computer or whatever and then where's it come they got to ship it halfway around the world to the united states that's a huge carbon footprint now today what opportunity that we have in this country is in my region and even in if you look at the gulf coast we have the energy right here in this country we have more energy we're the leading oil and gas producer in the world so we got the energy we got the feedstock and in our region the, the feedstock and energy is literally under the plants can you imagine it's right there so that's almost zero carbon footprint very minimal and then when you make that product you're making it like for instance the pellets when fish shell and ptt are two crackers built in the region those pellets are being made from american energy under the plant they're being trucked to converters people that make stuff right within a few hundred miles of those plants and then where does that stuff go it's going to atlanta detroit chicago new york city washington dc philadelphia baltimore right there in the region so can you imagine how small that carbon footprint is compared to what china's doing and the beauty of it is is we're creating these high wage jobs and i'm a, i'm also an adjunct professor at a community college my students Alberto, start at 60 grand a year that's huge for someone right out of school they're making they're making minimum wage now and they're getting 60 grand a year and what i love about it i said gentlemen ladies what are you going to buy with that stuff what do you think the first thing they want to buy is uh, no right what, what, what's the first thing you think they want to buy? For, for, they're going to buy a car. They're going to buy a home. They're going to buy. They're going to buy a whole lot of stuff. You you nailed it. Except in we're in West Virginia, so it's not a car. It's a pickup truck. What is it? What is it? <laughs> it's a pickup truck. Oh, a pickup. Yeah, you're in West Virginia. Okay. Yeah. So they so but that but that they're gonna you're right. They're gonna buy stuff. Now the third one you nailed it. Car or actually pickup truck house. And then since we're in West Virginia, they're gonna buy West Virginia WV Mountaineer football season tickets. Oh yeah. Yeah. But see what that does to the local economy. So now you're not just talking young people with 60 or 70 or 80,000 dollar year jobs. What are they doing? They're the, the people that sell that pickup truck, the people make that pickup truck, the people make that TV. The flower shop on Main Street because now they can buy flowers for their spouse on Valentine's Day or maybe just Friday just for the heck of it. That's where how we grow our economy and create those manufacturing jobs create four other spinoff jobs of some sort. And in Actually, some probably cases, they're going to build a house. Probably more than that when you take a look at the local economy, the bread maker who's selling more bread, the, you know, so all of that goes. And the restaurants, yeah. So can you see where that's how, and today when we buy that stuff from China, if I get buy this pen from China and my masks and all the PPE I'm getting, who gets those jobs? They do. And we're not even getting any tax benefits of it. So these all these young people are paying taxes. They're paying state taxes, local taxes, federal taxes. What a way to grow our economy and really create those things. And you know, what's fascinating, this does something else that's really powerful. I was on radio with a lady in Chicago and we probably don't have the same political persuasion. That's okay. But when it comes to jobs and bringing them, bringing high wage jobs back, we're absolutely on the same page. And she said, she asked me this question. She's Greg, we've got all these vacant buildings in Chicago. What can we do? How can we bring manufacturing back to our to Chicago? Because if we can put jobs in those into those into those vacant buildings, we can give our young people hope. And if we give our young people hope, we can end the gun violence in this city because now they have something to live for. They have a reason 
to stay off drugs, to, to stay out of a gang. We're giving them hope. And that's the stuff. And in my region, a big problem, we still have an opioid problem. My students don't have an opioid problem because they know in, in May, they'll, if, they, if they stay drug-free and graduate, they got that $60,000 a year job waiting for them. That's how we create hope. And that's how we begin to change really people's lives in a very positive way so i'm really pumped up about that kind of stuff. let me tell you greg you need to run for something um you know but i, I want i want to now challenge you in a particular area and 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 let, let's see how we get there um we need that impetus we need that we need that passion for jobs into something that is sustainable so i have a question for you i meet you halfway what i mean by that is um as an engineer, both of us are engineers, so we can speak at, at, at a particular level. I understand that, uh, you know, gradients, uh, bad things happen at large gradients. We know that whenever there are big changes, that's when bad things happen. So as a progressive activist who really wants to get things done, I realize that we have to have on ramps for changes uh, but the longer that we wait for on-ramps to changes, the steeper that on-ramp has to be. And that is where somebody like yourself comes in. You're an oil man. Let's put it bluntly. You have everything that you've just said is in the power of using oil to create great wages for the people that you are likely to represent, which is a damn good thing. You want those people employed. My question to you, however, is this. Knowing what we know about the environment, if you, believe, uh, if, if, if you believe the science of what's going on in the environment right now, uh, wouldn't it be uh, apropos to make sure that as we build your crescent region, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, that you make it transitional for these people that, yes, you're sitting on a, on a flotilla of of, uh, of of a gas that can be used as a catalyst right now for building other things other than burning, wouldn't it behoove you to create policies in that region that make them sustainable and not that when the crash, when some crash comes with, well, we really have to do something about energy now, that they are not in the same place again that all these rust belt places are in because some fast change occur and their 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 business model was not sustainable that's a you know i, I love that question you're, you're, and that's a great question i think what it, i don't know i sense you're younger than i am so do you remember the bionic man no, i'm probably older than you are but it's okay but do you remember the the Bionic Man, Steve Austin? Of course, I remember that. It's the six million dollar man. Is what that's it, it. That's it. That's it. Right. Well, I remember how that show started. So do you? Is we can rebuild him. We can make it better. Right. And I have a vision, and and it's funny to your point. Is it's taken a little while for people, even within our organization, Shellcrest. Because we're a nonprofit, but we're founded by community and business leaders, and we're not our whole role is jobs and if we can do it with renewables or whatever it doesn't matter let me interrupt you a second let me interrupt you a second because i went to your crescent website right and your crescent website um maybe i didn't look far enough i didn't see i i, I didn't see a transitional kind of a thing that says we are going to make sure that 
I know you're a nonprofit and you're doing damn good work. That's not what I'm hitting at all. What I'm trying to figure out is in the process of building up that region, you're going to have a transition to say we're doing because we get into too many ideological battles that we shouldn't Absolutely. be into. Okay. You and I want the same thing for our kids, etc. So we should find the, uh, the, the, the correct way to get us to a sustainable planet okay. that's not going to do the wrong thing. And, Absolutely. And, and, you're, and, and when you made that comment about we can start by reducing transportation and we get two, two bangs, we get more jobs here and we reduce a carbon print. I buy that. There's a third bang out of that. that Go you, ahead. And this is what nobody, and, and here's the part that really concerns me because you know, this whole, if, if, if the people that talk about climate change are right, and if we've got a limited window, and you and I both as engineers grasp that mm -hmm. you got to do something. I mean, the time for talk, I've waited 30 years. I'm done with talk. It's time right. to act. And what nobody has come up with yet is what do we do about China? Our CO2 levels in this country have dropped. We just last year, they went down 2%, but we're down 14%. So we're lowering CO2. China is, they haven't even, they haven't, we're not talking about lowering theirs. They're still increasing. Now, doggone it, I'm smart enough, and you're both smart enough as engineers to know that if we're going to solve the global problem, we can't do it if China's still doing this. True. And here's how we fix that. And they're, China's not going to come willingly, I don't think. I mean, matter of fact, they're still open. They're, I mean, it's boggling my mind. They're still opening new coal plants over there. So everything we do is being undone. Here's how we fix that. We start bringing that industry back from China. We start to force their hands. And that's how we do that. Ford wants to be carbon neutral. If, I had this, if you were the CEO of Ford, I'd look you in the eye right now. And I'd say, here's how you fix that. Shut that plant down in Beijing and bring it over to, bring it to Houston, bring it to Parkersburg, West Virginia, or Cambridge, Ohio, or Pittsburgh, PA. That's how you do it. And instead of bringing that oil to Beijing and then sending those car parts here, you bring that plant here or begin to transition, begin to make less. If you're going to ship it to the United States, make that product here. Make what you want to in Beijing and ship it to China and India. That's how we start. Nobody, I have not heard anything that's got anything at all to do with how do you deal with China. Here's one way we fix China. We start sending them our natural gas so they can maybe not, not build any more coal plants. I don't know, but we got to deal with that. And nobody, that's not on anybody's radar screen. And you and I both know if we got a, a 401k, the part of my 401k that may be growing if it's being undone by the rest of it that's losing money, I got to change that. And yeah, even, uh, now, if we don't change China, we're in deep, deep. I think we, this this has to be something that we, it's not only China, it's also India, it's all the developing right. countries, okay? Exactly. And, and I want to make a, a, what, I want to make a moral, a moral thing here. And that is, we as the United States, we are as the wealthiest country in the world, we did that by throwing a whole lot of carbon into the air. That's what we did. And so did, uh, so did the UK, et cetera. So um, we have to pay a bigger cost, in my humble opinion, when it comes to not forcing, but negotiating with others to stop throwing carbon into the air. Because they could say, well, you threw X amount of carbon in the air over the years to become rich. We may need to do the same. And we have to find some moral answer to that 
to that reality of enriching, you know, enriching one's sure. country. So that is something to be negotiated. But you're absolutely right that if we are the only ones cutting, uh, just one of the reasons for regulations is that you want everybody to be playing on the same field, on, a, on, on an even field. In other words, if we don't have regulations in certain places, you could, you could get a competitive advantage by, uh, by not being a good steward, and I get a competitive disadvantage by being a good steward. So we have to have a level playing field in order to execute those things. It's not, it can't be a winner take all or anything like that, which is what well, I, and I think you're talking about what, what I love about that is that's my coach coming out now, mm -hmm. because to me, doesn't matter who on our team, doesn't matter who scores the winning goal, as long as we win. And to that point, I think what we really need is getting enough leadership out there that, to put the planet on the same page what what are we going to do together to fix this problem and i and, and there's I, you know i don't know i guess what i would challenge even government to do is don't assume that the answers that we're thinking about now are the right answers if you put the right people together there's better answers out there we just don't know what they are because i guarantee it if you and i sat down and talked for a while we'd come up with a better solution than some oh, of the other stuff that's look, going on that that is definite look let, let me tell you and, and it's not only that it, it also the perfect answer is not always an answer that you can work on, that you can work with. In other words, and that is as, as, an, as an environmentalist, and I think you claim yourself an environmentalist Absolutely, as well. Absolutely. But am. as an environmentalist, as, a, and a, as an engineer, as a progressive, I have certain values. As I, I assume, given that you're an oil man, I assume that you are a conservative guy. I assume all these things. But we live in the same country. We can have a cup of coffee, we can drink, and we can do all of those things together and figure out, well, what can we do that continues life on Earth in the long run? Sure, and it doesn't have all, to be a straight we're all dead, line. it doesn't matter. Right. So, so my thing is, and one of the reasons I like to challenge and talk to people like yourself is that you have the respect in that community. And if, if, if having that respect in that community if you can actually show, well, you know, after speaking to a few progressives, maybe we need to sort of meet, as opposed to us having these, because some, some of the people, with me talking to somebody like yourself, some of, of the folks that I deal with would be like, are you crazy? They are the anti this and the anti, and my thing is, no, they're my fellow brother, okay? And somehow we have to figure out how a leader in, your field leader in what you're doing and your values can somehow come to a resolution that look we know we have a problem there are also financial areas there are logical areas your work areas there are all these areas that have to be satisfied at once how do we do that and i think and i think by first having the conversation we can do that uh you're sitting on a on, on a you're you know, the easiest thing to, to think is that because you're singing, sitting on an ocean of gas is that it has to be used. Uh, that I'm sitting on an ocean of something that it has to be used. How do we, how do we tell all those landowners in the Crescent area that uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to do that, but we're going to have the necessary programs that it's not a burden for you not to have done that. And that is where nonprofits like Crescent and all of that with the proper modal, in my opinion, can actually start laying the groundwork for the people who trust you.
I think there's and it's, there's a, a lot of good opportunities to that because we can't solve a problem we're sh- if we're shouting at each other. Right. And I think what what the challenge is, and I think we're starting to see that the coal people are finally starting to figure this stuff out, is it's not always about burning something. Now, the one challenge that I have a real uh, concern with a lot of the Green New Deal folks is they don't seem to grasp that you got to have molecules. And, you know, we can go wind and solar wherever we can use it. And I'm fine. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what I'd like to see. If we're going to do offshore wind, fine. Make the windmills in Cambridge, Ohio, or Charleston, West Virginia, and ship them to the East Coast. Short problem. I'd rather make solar panels in my backyard here in Charleston than have them shipped from Beijing. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff. Now, to make those solar panels, we got to have molecules. And the molecules we have in our country in abundance. So I think that's the difference. But but I got I get for it because I know we're, I, I don't want to lose get this out there before we lose time. Is we're already working on recycling. I, I've got I've got two companies, one from Israel that I'm really excited about. And our goal, my goal, and our region's goal is to create this circular economy. In other words, instead of and I love the Israeli what we call garbage, they call feedstock. And what they're going to do is set up near our landfills. And as these trash trucks come in, they have to separate the glass and the metals. The rest of the stuff, the hot dog wrappers, the the waste salad, they can use all that stuff and they turn that into a pellet that'll make a product. And that's the stuff. When we start turning, instead of burying this stuff in the ground, now what we've got, to your point, we're not using... Now we're not using even that natural gas resource. We're not using as much of that because we're using that trash and we're turning that into a product. And I'm loving what they're doing because that's the whole concept is we're creating this circular economy instead of plastic. We got to have plastic. We got to have it for face shields and medical equipment about everything we use. My wife wouldn't be alive without plastics. Right. Now we're using them circularly. What an opportunity. Greg, out of this conversation, that I, I, this is the, the type of conversation I think we should have. This is the type of conversation I think we need to have a lot of, expand it a bit more, and then come to a few better points. But as I always ask my guests, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Wow, good question. Because I think we've covered a ton of stuff. I think the, the, the main thing that I think what I'd like to see is how do we get everybody on that same page? How do we start this? How do we, because what I, when we did a ton of radio last year because of the pandemic, we, we couldn't go places, but we end up doing a lot of media. And what I've seen, and, and matter of fact, to give everybody out there hope is it didn't matter whether it was red state, blue state, liberal, conservative, urban, rural, Everybody, I had guests call in last year. Everybody that I talked to, no matter where, downtown Chicago, San Francisco, you name it, wants to see manufacturing and jobs come here. And that's something we can build on. And I think that's that's how we start. And I think even the president wants to see, he, he, he gets the, the idea that if we got to depend on China for ventilators, and if we got to depend on China for our personal protective equipment, that's not good. So we need to be making more of these products here. And we can do it because we have advanced manufacturing. We've got a great labor source. We have feedstock. 
and we we are right here where the big market is and where the people need that stuff so that's you know maybe that's the, the thought process is how do we begin and we begin by starting to make what we know we have to make here greg cosetta it's been my pleasure to have you on politics done right we must keep the conversation going thank you for what you're doing and thank you for what I know you're going to do in the future. Well, appreciate it. Anytime, anything we can do to help, to get you information, to do whatever, because this is all of our country. This is all of our world. And, you know, it's not just about you and I. I got kids. I got grandkids. And I got, a, and I got friends around the world. Thank you, my friend. We got to take care of everybody. Absolutely. You have a wonderful day. Thank you. Appreciate what you do. I hope you guys like the interview. I think these types of interviews are important because, again, when you get around the, 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 the one person saying this, a shout-in from the political things and all of that, you don't really get a chance to have an intelligent conversation. And, again, this guy's on the right, very much on the right. He believes in oil. He believes in all these things. But he also has an inkling that there's something with the environment. But how do we make that transition? That is where those of us on the left who think we know what that transition should look like can actually come in and say, no, let's do this or slow down on that or no, we got to, you know, I mean, that is how we're going to make the change. But this stuff about going all oil or immediately, look, I am 100% into the Green New Deal, 100% into the Green New Deal. Uh, how, how to implement it? It's not written. That is how these conversations, uh, these are the types of conversations that we have to make it hey guys i'm not going to do the 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 thing with the the because uh, after having this nice conversation i don't want to go back into that frame of mind that i had just suffice it to say it was really bad the way this guy got killed in front of everybody bright daylight no offense no violence he just got shot and killed by cops so i don't want to see it again Anyhow, um, I got to get out of here. But beforehand, I'd like to ask you to become a member. If you are on YouTube right now, please go ahead and click the join button. If you don't see a join button, I'm going to put a link in a YouTube link in there. You can become a part of our YouTube posse. Uh, Bridge MCP is our is our champion in the green in the posse. You can also consider getting one of our cups. Uh, that's what our cup looks like. Uh, designed by Bridge MCP, a member of our 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 PDR Posse. Uh, this is our good friend Linda E, who got the book, or rather, who got the the cup, and she's drinking out of it. And another one of our PDR Posse members. Uh, there we go with Norman Reynolds. And I want anybody else who bought the cups. Quite a few of you bought the cups. Why don't you send me a picture? I'd like to kind of feature you. You know, I, I like this to be a family kind of a thing, folks. Uh, you know, we're. We're all in this together. We're talking together. We're disagreeing together. We're agreeing together, all that kind of stuff. That is what, that is a real society, right? That is a real society. We don't all agree, but we're all family. We all get along. Folks, also consider supporting us coming via Patreon. Patreon is, uh, you can go to politicsandright.com, uh, P A T R E O N. Again, that is P A T R E O N, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Likewise, you can support us via PayPal. How do you do that? You go to politicsandright.com slash PayPal, politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Bridge MCP said as soon as she heals, she's going to send it for me. Love you, girl. Thank you very much for doing that. Politicsandright.com slash PayPal to support us on PayPal. We're still, we're still taking uh, stuff on Facebook. 
So you can go to politicsandright.com slash Facebook as well if you want to contribute to the program via, uh, via Facebook. Now, um, that book that you see on the screen right now is uh, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing uh, how to, uh, it's worth it, how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. If you see the kind of conversations that I have with people, both on the left to right or whatever, we have conversations. Uh, when he says things that I disagree with, you don't see me just jumping down somebody's throat or whatever for the sake of doing that. The idea is I, I, can, I learned from this guy. I learned from everybody that I speak to. And you can only learn from the people you speak to and be able to have a, a good conversation and come back with something to get them to give you the same honor of listening to you, if that's what you do. And like I said, I learned something from Greg Cosera. You know, I understood. I learned other things. I mean, even, you know, there's a movie that showed uh, gas in water, lighting. You know, there are certain things I learned about that. That Well, we spoke about that off air. We didn't put, quite, put that one on air. But, I mean, there's, you know, you can learn from everybody. So um, that book, I talk about how I do some of that. Of course, you need to also know your material. And in this book, you, there's a lot of material to be learned. So consider getting uh, the, uh, the book. Here is the Amazon link to the book. And you can also go to our store, get the book, our cups, just about everything, and support us. Now, somebody sent me an email. They said, Egberto, you're talking about the billionaire Bezos. Uh, how he has too much money and all of that, and you sent me to Amazon to get the book. I said, yeah. And I said, my just me making a change. It is like, don't go to Walmart because Walmart doesn't pay sustainable wages. But as an activist who no longer commands any money of significance, you have to buy inexpensive things when you can. So I feel for all of those who still have to go ahead and get things best they can even from people because what we're talking about is not an individual thing. It's a systemic thing. It's something we all have to get together and do. So am I still selling my book through Amazon? Yeah. Why if Amazon is not good necessarily good for the country? Because for the time being it's not just me who has to change the structure. It's us all getting into that mode of changing the structure. Anyway, love you guys. Thank you guys for listening to me. I know you have the option to be anywhere. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel. And number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. <laughs>